Hi guys, I'm Daniel. And I'm Frankie. And this is Propagated Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Propagated Podcast. Um, I actually have no idea what you're doing this week, Daniel. <laughs> well, I guess it'll be a surprise when we get to Ooh. my part, won't it? You know how much I love surprises in the Marigolds and Farmer's Almanac <laughs> episode. I'd like peeked out because I screamed. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I was I'm not going to lie. I've had a busy week. So I know that you text me and told me what you were doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I don't really remember. <laughs> well, great. It'll be a double surprise then. That works out. It's fun. I also have a new microphone. I hope I sound great. <laughs> Clean and crisp. Mm, do I sound like a professional podcaster, everyone? Please let me know. If you think I sound like a professional podcaster, please leave us a five-star review on the app of your choice. <laughs> 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 I didn't know how to work that in there. <laughs> All about some shameless self-promotion. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So how have you been? Any Any news? Any fun facts? No, I mean, we had our nice little beach vacation oh, and lovely. kind of been laid back since I got back because, like a lot of people, I still don't have a real job anymore yeah. for now. So, And I cut down to part-time, so I get to work on the podcast more. I'm so excited about it. <laughs> Which I am very thankful for because you have all the technical knowledge that I do not possess. <laughs> I just bleep and bloop all day. <laughs> bleep and bloop around the house. I'm very online, is what I like to say. <laughs> I'm very online. Listen, I'm big on the internet. <laughs> I mean, we all know that you're big on the internet at this point. One time it was really funny. I went to the bar that Daniel works at, and our friend and another bartender there, Jake, this was obviously pre-COVID, but um, I meant to say that like I come across bigger on the internet. Like I feel like my personality is larger, but what I said was I'm big on the internet, and you know, years later, they still have not let me let it go. <laughs> yeah, uh, Jake, Jake is definitely very relentless about that one, and I just think it's hilarious, so I, I have to have to pull it out every once in a while. <laughs> Uh, well, maybe someday someone will hear you and be like, oh, my God, are you an influencer? And I'll be like, yeah, take your picture yeah, with me. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I'm an influencer. Uh, um, no, really, I just talk about plants. <laughs> a lot. Plants and D&D. That's like, that's your whole yeah. bit. Yeah. I'm a nerd. What can I say? Cool. Well, I have an article for you if you Ooh. want to get into that. Let's fucking do it cool so it kind of ties into what i'm talking about today so i thought it would be a fun little segue a segue it's called breakthrough discovery in plants dna may lead to slowing aging process in humans and it's by sandy lamont for cnn health in november of 2019 Fucking so it's a couple cool. years old but yeah i thought it was really interesting i had never heard of it before so they've kind of basically identified the missing link for cellular immortality between humans and single-celled animals. And they identified it in the plant kingdom. Huh. Yeah. They identified this detailed structure of the, I don't know how to say this. I think you know how to say this. Telomerase? Telomerase? Telomeres? 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 That's only Telomeres? Tele it's T-E-L-O-M-E-R-A-S-E. Telomerase. 
Telomerase. Right. That sounds I don't know. Telomere, I know for sure. Telomerase, <laughs> I guess, would be the enzyme. Usually the in, stuff that ends in ace like that is an enzyme. Mm-hmm. It is the enzyme, yep. So I would assume it's telomerase mm-hmm. is how I would assume to say it. Yeah, telomerase is the enzyme that creates the DNA of telomeres. Wait, telomeres? Telomeres. <laughs> telomerase is... <laughs> you want to add that like Italian... You want to add that like Italian spice to it. Telomeres. Telomeres. Telomeres is the enzyme that creates the DNA of telomeres. Telomeres. There we go. <laughs> like meerkat. Which is... Yeah, yeah, telomere, meerkat. There we go. The telomere. And the telomere is the compound structure that's located at the tips of our chromosomes, which protect the cells from aging as they multiply. So think of it like plastic caps on shoelaces. Yeah. It kind of protects the shoelaces as it gets used and worn. So basically, this is new research. They found that like most of our cells in our body have very low levels of telomerase, and thus they age as they divide. So it like, you know, aging cells equal aging body and the cells are no longer functioning normally. However, when our cells ends are protected by telomeres, only a piece of the telomere is lost as the cell divides and the important DNA is left undamaged. Now, this is not a cure to eternal life yet. Maybe it's still in basic research, but um, they have found that oxidative stress makes this whole process worse. So that would be, you know, things that we participate in, like poor diet, smoking, stress, anxiety, all of that. God, everything that is my daily life. Fuck, <laughs> Frankie, why, why you got to call me out like that? Uh, I was typing that like, ah, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> mm, yes. <laughs> but basically this missing link makes it so that we might be able to reverse diseases in which telomeres are shortened such as pulmonary pulmonary fibrosis. It could help with cancer. And if we could learn how it works so that we could turn it off, we could potentially stop cancer from protecting itself as it's dividing, basically. Huh. Man, that sounds like it has a lot of, like, future potential applications. That's really fucking cool. Yeah. Um... I don't really want to say half... I found this stuff so interesting, but I don't think I need to really say half of it. Because, like, telomeres were discovered in 2009, and they won a Nobel Prize for it, but... From Ponscum, which is pretty cool. Oh, that is pretty cool. Grider, Sozstack, and Blackburn were the names of the scientists. Huh. Yeah. Um... But basically, yeah, they found this in plant scum. So now they're looking more in the plantae kingdom because it's like 2,500 species. And they found this missing link. In the, from, oh, so yeah. in 2009 is when they found telomeres in plant and telomerase scum. in plants. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. like, it's like, I feel like I learned about that in high school. Am I just fucking... Yeah, never mind. I'm being, I, I am very I mean, loopy-headed today. Just... That's at least when they won the Nobel Prize for their research in plant scum for telomerase. So heard, 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 heard. Um, they for for the Nobel Prize they showed how it protected chromosomes in yeast, and then they identified and named the enzyme. So hmm. yeah, I'm all about a science-heavy article. Into it, yeah, love it. So I I went into that a little bit, even though like obviously it's a little science-heavy because what I'm talking about today is the connection between plants and Western medicine. 
Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Western medicine. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. a lot of Eastern, I mean, and indigenous medicine too, it's a lot older and I think they've known how to value plants maybe a little bit better than Western has for a while. Yeah. So what kind of kicked off the whole plant Western medicine correlation would be when Frederick Serturner in Germany extracted white crystal from crude opium poppy and made morphine. Okay. Okay, yeah. okay, okay, okay. So that kind of started everything off, and we still use morphine to this day. I mean, it's very important. People yeah. use it in hospitals a lot. And scientists were really inspired by this, and so they started using similar techniques to find some things. And some of them we actually talked about before, like aconite and monkshood, which we talked about in our poison episode. And I think we talked about deadly nightshade as well, mm-hmm. which produced atropine. And Peruvian bark produced quinine. So this is all around this age and this, like, excitement around um, extracting plant matter to make medicine. To make medicine. Huh. Yeah. In 1852, scientists took the white willow, which is Salix alba, and they synthesized salicin, which is the active ingredient in this willow bark. And in 1899, Bayer modified that into a milder form and launched aspirin. So salicin is a more more potent version of aspirin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Didn't know that. Yeah. And aspirin is artificially created now. They don't still use the plants for it, but the fact remains that the plant inspired it. <laughs> the original synthesis was from plant matter. Exactly. Willow trees are fucking dope. Love willows. Love good willow. Mm-hmm. Oh, I would, yeah. I mean, like, when I think of, like, my dream scenario, it would be, like, reading under a willow tree because they sound so beautiful and they're just, like, oh, lovely. Mm-hmm. Next to, like, a pond. Oh, yeah. Maybe some yeah. crickets. But, like, not too many. Breeze. Yeah, not too many bugs. <laughs> some wildflowers in the distance, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just, like, real idyllic. Yeah, that's the dream. I feel like this is a book cover. This is, like... I guarantee it is somewhere. Podcast the novel. Propagated the novel. (laughs) (laughs) So after aspirin, we kind of launched into this synthetic age of Western medicine. Okay. Fun fact. Right now, a full 40% of drugs behind the pharmaceutical counter in Western medicine derive from plants that people have used for centuries. 40%. 40%. And the top 20 best-selling prescription drugs in the U.S. today are all from plants. Damn. Do we know how many there are total? I don't. <laughs> I'm just curious what 40% means because I bet it's a fucking massive-ass number. Well, 40% of all drugs. That's Western what I'm saying. Medicine. Like, I bet yeah, that's, that's like, like a massive number. <laughs> a huge, huge, huge number. Yeah. Even though many of our drugs are synthesized from medicine, from plant extracts, the synthesized version sometimes doesn't carry the same therapeutic effects that they're finding and may also have negative side effects not found with the whole plant source. So, you know, there's different avenues of thought in this of like, okay, well, great, you took this from this plant, but like you're still not getting what the plant gives you, you know? Right. I think a lot of Western medicine uses plants as inspiration rather than... um, 
use. What's the word I'm looking for? Like um, application. There you go. That works. Yeah. I like that. I couldn't come up with a word in my head either. So. <laughs> um, and some things like cough drops. Yeah. Have had licorice root in them for nearly 3,500 years. Wow. That's a long fucking time. Yeah. Also, I'm, I'm like weird with cough drops i feel like i eat them like candy when i have them around which is like the raw like it's you're not supposed to do that obviously oh when when i was a kid one time i fell asleep with a cough drop in my mouth which is terrifying to me because i used to i was a walking choking hazard as a child (laughs) and like i fell asleep and i woke up and it had melted and my cheek was like just pure syrup it was so gross that sounds terrible it was awful i hate that I hate being sticky, though. It's like my least favorite thing in the world to be sticky. Ugh. Yeah, for sure. I like to be dirty. Like I ha- like having dirt under my fingernails and I like to like, you know, work out in the garden and have like that layer of dirt that doesn't mm-hmm. bother me. But yeah, sticky is awful. Mm. Yeah, dirty doesn't. That, that's whatever. Sticky is bad, though. Yeah. May we never have toddlers. <laughs> oh, girl, I will not. <laughs> Okay, so back to medicine. Did you know that the FDA does not regulate the use of herbal supplements? Hmm, like at all? At all. I guess I did kind of know that because like on the supplements that I do take, it says that there's like no FDA mm-hmm. testing done or whatever. Basically, exactly Clinton passed the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act of 1994, which separated dietary ingredients including vitamins, minerals, amino acid, and herbs or botanicals. So the FDA does not test it and has there's no serious testing for efficacy or toxicity because of this. Damn. Yeah. Do your research, y'all. I've always kind of wondered why there isn't more research into like like we were talking about cinnamon the other day and I was like why isn't there more research about what cinnamon does, you know? I mean it's probably purely a th- uh, an issue of funding you want to like boil down yeah. to why realistically it's like that it's probably a funding thing yeah how are you going to go and get grants by being like i want to look at cinnamon <laughs> i just want to look at cinnamon i think maybe it could do something cool one day yeah it smells nice <laughs> it smells real good yeah but basically the problem with this is that a lot of people just assume that it's safe because it says natural and it is natural but i mean you don't really know what you're consuming a lot of the time. Yeah. It's or definitely it always be. better to like just Google it. Yeah. Yeah. But even if like, like they say with pregnant women, like you have to consult your doctor before you start taking new dietary supplements and stuff like that. I think it's, <sighs> yeah, there's just not really a whole lot of health and safety behind it, I guess, even especially for the stuff you're taking off the counter. Yeah. So, Drugs made with modern technology are somewhat limiting. Um, You know, studying plants is really great because natural products have this unique chemical diversity, which results in diversity in biological activities and drug-like properties. Mm -hmm. The plant kingdom is one of the most important resources for developing new compounds and scaffolds. And scaffolds are basically materials that have been engineered to cause desirable cellular interactions to contribute to the formation of new functional tissues for medical purposes. So 
Yeah. Did that who, make sense? <laughs> who is she? I love this science Frankie that's coming out I this week. I had to get into it. I was feeling the science vibes. I'm considering going back to school for climate science. I was like, you know, just feeling it. <laughs> I will, I am into it. So plants, our favorite thing in the world, really play a leading role in the discovery of drugs for human diseases, particularly critical diseases, which I think is pretty cool. I mean, that's, yeah, it's... I don't, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. It's pretty uh -huh. cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. So finally, in conclusion, I just want to introduce a few plants that we haven't talked about that have medicinal properties. That Let I... me hear them. I had a lot of joy looking into. So there's the Pacific Yew, also known as Taxus brevifolia. It was traditionally used by indigenous people brewed in a tea to cure cancer. And modern Western medicine was like, oh... Let me look at this. And discovered it had the ability to stop certain cancerous tumors from development. Wow. It is commonly used this way for ovarian cancer and breast cancer. Damn. Um, the extract paclitaxel, that sounds right, paclitaxel stops the division of cancer cells. And the best thing about it is that patients don't build up a resistance to it. Oh. The problem is... The tree is really slow growing, and you need to use a huge amount of bark. I mean, can they not synthesize it? I feel like once you like I'm have sure the basic structure. Yeah, I'm sure it's probably somewhere in research, hopefully. Yeah, it has to be. You know it has to be. The treatment for cancer needs to change. Like, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, cancer treatment is terrifying to me. It's, it's like, let's terrifying. just shove a bunch of deadly chemicals into your body in the hopes that it'll kill the cancer before it kills you. Yeah, gosh. Ugh. Oh, my gosh. Talk about a poison episode. Mm -hmm. But, okay, next plant. There is also the rosy periwinkle. Ooh. What a cute-ass <laughs> name. I know. Um, the catharanthus roseus. Look, catharanthus? Catharanthus roseus. It is used by doctors to treat diabetes, leukemia, malaria, and Hodgkin's lymphoma. Hmm. Pretty cool. And last but not least, this was so exciting. I didn't know this one before. Daffodils. Are used for what now? Mm -hmm. Okay, so daffodils became the symbol for Alzheimer's awareness. Am I saying that right? Alzheimer's? Alzheimer's. 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 Well... Apologies if I'm saying it horribly. Alzheimer. <laughs> you do say it. <laughs> I always it want to oddly. put a T in there. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, they um, discovered the alkaloid gala. Oh my gosh, gala galan galantamine. Galantamine. There we go. Sure. Just had to sound it out. <laughs> it's Absolutely. like in kindergarten phonetic. when they're like sound it out. <laughs> phonetic as fuck. I'm sure that all these super medical, heady scientific terms are just phonetic as fuck. Absolutely. But like the funny thing is, I was such a reader as a kid that like even still to this day, I'll say a word out loud and people are like, that is not how you say it because I've never heard it. I've only read it. Read it. I've definitely <laughs> been guilty of that. And like people just look at you like, what did you? What? Yeah. My most recent one was um, row. I pronounced it row. And someone was like, you're having a what with someone? I was like, a row. <laughs> just, a, just a good old fashioned row. Just a good old-fashioned row. You know, we're in the boat together. 
Oh, anyway, back to daffodils, because this is fascinating. So the alkaloid gallon, oh my gosh, now I already forgot, galantamine is used to slow and reverse the development of Alzheimer's. And it has been used since the 1950s, where it was extracted from a snowdrop and used experimentally, and it worked. <laughs> Damn. Okay. Right? And then I found the cutest article I have ever seen in my life. It's about a sheep farmer in Wales who grows daffodils <laughs> for this Welsh purpose. Old daffodil farmer? What? I know. That's His cute. name is Kevin Stevens. He's a farmer in the Black Mountains in Wales, and his flowers could potentially be used to help more than 225,000 patients who suffer from Alzheimer's. Damn. Because his daffodils in particular contain a higher amount of galantamine than normal, they think because of the altitude at 1,200 feet and the harsh conditions in which they're grown. Well, fuck yeah, Kevin. Yeah. Go, Kevin. After six years of harvesting these flowers, he has produced enough galantamine to help 9,000 Alzheimer's patients receive their daily dose of the drug. Daily dose? That's so cute. I know, Kevin. He's just growing all these daffodils, and it's just so cute. And I can't help but think of the scene in Big Fish, where there's just that huge field of daffodils. I've never seen that movie. (gasps) You've never seen Big Fish? Oh, it's so cute. One of my favorites. <laughs> Anyways, yes. So that was it. That was. I episode. love that. That was a cute one. I have some sources. The USDA website on medicinal botany. And then gardentherapy.ca. I read an article called Life-Saving Plants, Plant-Derived Modern Medicine. And then the adorable article was from countryliving.com, How One Welsh Farmer's Daffodil Crop Could Help Thousands of People with Dementia by Katie Avis Riordan. Country living. I love that. But yeah, I'm going to be thinking about daffodils all week because they're so beautiful. And also like the first blooming flower. And it always brings just so much joy. So Daniel, I'm so excited to find out what you have for me today. All right. Actually, it's kind of odd that you, I think we both did a similar thing because again, <laughs> we did, uh, well, no, I mean, not really. I was, I was talking about previously when we were talking about how I forgot what you text me that you were going to do. Oh, gotcha. You also suggested that I do this because I was not able to think of anything on my own organically this week for some reason. So I decided to do urban farming. Yes. Oh, I'm so smart. I'm so excited to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> this Confidence is just a little is treat key. to myself. Well, really, it's just a treat to myself because I'm like, if Daniel does this, then I don't have to do any work and then I can just hear him talk about it. <laughs> well, I'm going to... I went a little bit of a different direction this time with how I like did my notes. Love it. Let's so get experimental, everyone. You're going to have to bear with me this week. It might be bad. Don't say that. Don't put that out into the universe. <laughs> Come on, my friend's better than that. All Come right. on, confidence. You're amazing. You're so smart. <laughs> yeah, co- confidence is key, but it's not It's not a key I possess. Um, <laughs> Let me just be the janitor and I'll just hand you as many keys as you need. <laughs> you are handsome. You are amazing. You are funny. You are a fantastic podcast host. Now I just feel embarrassed. It's fun. All right, I'm going to talk to the audience for a second. Listen, y'all are beautiful. You're amazing. 
We love you. Thank you so much for listening. All right. Are you feeling? I hyped love now? this. I've, I've got it. We've got it. We're gonna do it. We're gonna do. We're gonna do the damn thing. Today, I kind of want to take a second to talk about urban farming. Ooh. Um, I feel like maybe that's a little bit too general. I feel like a lot of people, when they think of farms, kind of imagine these like huge plowed fields and giant like combine tractors and you know a world like a kind of a classical feel of farming you know is like what most people picture but there's kind of a large group of people now trying to modernize the idea of what a farm can be and how we can produce our food which is really fucking cool i think hell yeah I once heard a story, maybe I'll talk about this, but I once heard a story about this woman who tried to start an urban farm in her community because the community was relatively poor, and the city came and bleached the whole land. Hate that. Oh, I like I'm still mad about it years later. I need to like find it again because I was like so livid when I read that. Yeah, I hate that a lot. I mean, I would be lying if I said I was super surprised, but I don't love that. Yeah. No, capitalism is like, you can't have food. We need to keep its value up. <laughs> right. If you grow your own food, what are we supposed to fucking sell? Um, Here we go, <clears> talking <throat> about capitalism. I know, every time, every <laughs> fucking episode. The, the, the like dissonance between healthy plant living and capitalism, though, is so wide. Like They really can't exist together, so it makes sense to me. Yeah, no, eco-living and capitalism are never going to be buddies. Like, what was that thing I posted this week on Instagram? It was, like, the only value of a tree in capitalism is when it's cut down. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of times urban agriculture is kind of confused with community gardening. Mm. So I'm not really going to focus on, like, community gardening, homesteading, or, like, subsistence farming. Today I'm going to focus specifically on urban agriculture, which essentially the, the main difference is urban agriculture kind of assumes a level of commerce like there's got there's like that there's there's some give and take to it more than like just having a free community garden is not the same thing as like creating an operation that that like delivers a product to people other than it's like yeah, yeah you know yeah so urban farming also like i said could be called urban agriculture is all about producing food inside city limits and while it has plenty of its own challenges it also offers many benefits because well i don't really want to say it like that a lot of urban poverty centers could vastly be improved by urban farming so you have increased food security decreased waste community involvement and and plenty more in like the pros section of it all, you know? And also urban farming kind of gives people a chance to pursue a passion for agriculture, even though they might not have a lot of land with which to do that. Mm. Also, when you look at urban farming, you have to think about the fact that people are becoming more educated about their food in recent years. And so there's Mm. calls for reining in the effects that transporting food has on the climate. Um, There is an increased demand for knowing where your food was grown, knowing that it was locally grown, sustainably grown, and organic. 
-hmm. And all of these things kind of are leading to an uprising of people trying to do this in an urban setting. So urban farming definitely isn't exactly a brand new practice, you know, like it's been around for a really long time, honestly. And many people are starting to get really skilled at finding ways to set up urban urban farming and like getting it to people and doing it very successfully. And so due to, I guess, concerns about population and how urban centers are going to account for over 80% of the world population, they project within the next uh, 25 years. Wow. So with that all being true, we're going to have to look towards methods other than what you would consider to be traditional farming and look into urban centers. So there are a few things or a few companies that I'm going to talk about that have had success in bringing urban farming in and around for people in their communities. Um, The first one is Aero Farms, which I feel like you might have heard of before, honestly. They kind of have like a... so familiar, yeah. They have like ads and stuff. They like do a bit and it's made for like the in... It's like in-home vertical growing pods and it's like a setup that comes, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. so like you can get these for your house. They're kind of a little cost prohibitive still. But um Yeah, I get targeted all the time and then I always click on it and I'm like, ooh, out of my price range. I I, mean, I have a podcast. I'm <laughs> I'm not wealthy. Um, <laughs> I will say though, if you think about it as an investment rather than just a, such an upfront cost, it kind of makes sense because if you if you're able to grow all the vegetables, or not all, but several of the vegetables that you buy on a regular basis to cook with then really you're not coming off on, like you're coming out and and it's going to be profitable for you eventually, you know? Mm-hmm. But essentially what they do is they use what's called aeroponics. So like there's hydroponics that is like a way more uh, normal, like well-known system yeah, of growing yeah. plants. But aeroponics involves growing plants without the use of soil at all. So wow. you actually suspend the roots in the air. Makes sense. And misting them at regular intervals with a fine nutrient rich spray. Hmm. So it not only re- like not only eliminates the need to have soil carted in from somewhere in an urban setting because you don't have like a backyard full of dirt to go plant in and having soil shipped in can be expensive. So they're trying to eliminate yeah. the need for that. And it also mm-hmm. has allowed not only for an extended growing season but the technology they use takes about 95% less water than traditional farming techniques, which is also a pretty big fucking deal in our current climate. Yeah. Um, so the company claims, and I didn't do much to see if this is a substantiated claim or not, but that all of these benefits add up to a crop yield that is more than 400 times higher per square foot each year than a traditional farm. Which is a lot. I guess that makes sense, though, because it's small square footage, you know? Yeah, and it's also year-round. You can grow year-round as opposed to having seasonal crops. That makes sense to me, yeah. I wonder what, like, the comparison of work is, you know? Because it seems like if you have to get all these nutrients into the plant, it seems like it might be 
A, more expensive, B, more like, like, you know how with houseplants you have to replace the dirt a lot. I have mm-hmm. to assume like to get those nutrients to the plants, there has to be some sort of, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Like I said, I, I honestly didn't do a lot of research into each of these companies beyond kind of like a synopsis of what they're doing right now. Yeah. Um, but I definitely welcome anybody who wants to do a deeper dive and throw some Let's facts know, at us about yeah. these. I would love to hear from you guys about it because it's I think, or, I think they're really interesting. Hey, if you want to sponsor us, hit us up. <laughs> yeah, Aero <laughs> if Farms. If you are Aero Farms, um, I can't afford you, but we would love to try you out and shout you out. <laughs> yeah, if you want to send us free Aero Farms, we will use them religiously, <laughs> take pictures, post it on our social medias. It'd be great. Listen, we're great at that. We have a great social media manager. <laughs> Frankie's great at that. I want to specify that very clearly. Um, and so Aero Farms has been around since 2004. So I guess in my brain that equates to not very long ago, but fucking yeah. seven, what, 17 years now? Oh my, oh my God. Yeah. Wait, yeah. On. Let me throw up. <laughs> right. That's, that's literally what I just did in my head. I was like, oh, that's a, that's actually not a short time. Yeah, some of the articles I read today, I like looked at them and I was like, oh, this is from 2006. I probably should find something newer. Well, the first group of like urban farming things that I looked up, I was like, oh, these are really cool. And I was like, like Googling to get deeper into them. And I found out that over half of the ones in this article didn't even exist anymore because the article oh. was from 2005. Oh, no. So I was like, and I was like, oh, maybe I should try and find a better article so this one's from 2020 i feel pretty okay with that i I feel like that was pretty recent (laughs) yeah that 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 one's pretty recent we don't really talk about that year but no (laughs) (laughs) but um also air farms has received a lot of different awards but specifically in 2018 they won the global sdg award for their environmentally responsible practices and leadership in the field of agriculture so it's really cool that I guess, being able to see urban farming kind of take off, you know? Yeah, it needs to. Wow. And here's another thing, another one that I think is really cool. So in Rotterdam in the Netherlands, there is a place called Rotterswam, which I think is a stupid name, but whatever. It's fun. It's fun, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Um, But they're actually an urban mushroom farm. And I think that's really fucking cool because I love fucking mushrooms. So yeah, can we become an urban mushroom farm, please? Absolutely. I'm so into it. It sounds like it's actually not that terrible to set up and like get rolling. It's just kind of expensive. But the mushroom farm essentially uses a closed loop system and they collect used coffee grounds from local businesses. Um and they use those to grow the mushrooms and they create mushroom nurseries out of used containers from their town. So it's like a system of recycling stuff from the town to grow the mushrooms that they then turn around and use in their community, which is really fucking cool. This is everything to me. Yeah, I'm super into I it. Love. <laughs> mushrooms, recycling, boom, boom. Yeah. <laughs> and um I really would love to go here one day because apparently the team at Rotterswam offers tours to interested peoples and helps educate those interested in starting their own circular systems or an urban mushroom farm of their own. So they're not even trying to like make their system proprietary and like make a bunch of money off of it. They literally want to be like, yes, here's how you go do this at home for yourself. All right. Adding it to the list. (laughs) 
You just got to go to the Netherlands, which I think would be pretty fucking dope anyways. I'm so down to go to the Netherlands. All right. I'm not going to not going to go over all of those. I have a whole long list of different businesses, but I feel like that's going to take a long time. But realistically, urban agriculture kind of reduces the carbon footprint created by transporting food from farms to consumers. Yeah. And so it's a really cool thing because most traditional agricultural methods are kind of, or, or I guess most of the product that they produce ends up going to urban population centers anyways. So you have these giant farms taking up huge swatches of land swatches swaths 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 yeah, i don't know what swatches i like swatches though swatches. it reminds me of like when you're on an airplane and you look down and like the farms look like they're all like these beautiful little swatches of green mm-hmm. anyways i think that what i'm trying to say is that it's pretty cool to think that you could reduce the amount of distance that your product has to travel yeah and provide for these urban centers in the centers themselves and I think that's a, that would be a really cool thing to do. So I'm like essentially being like, yes, fucking urban agriculture is something we should invest in and take time to like proliferate. Oh, absolutely. And then you think about too, like the amount of hands that touch it. Like you want to cut down the amount of travel and hands a tomato has to go through, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I am who I am. And I feel like I've... Preach, preach, oh, preach. Oh, no, I'm not preaching this time. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't have a whole lot of preaching. I don't have preaching in me today. Just but, fuck yeah, urban farms. That's your only preach. Yeah, literally, that's my only preach this episode, I swear. Um, but keeping with tradition, I feel like I always have to talk about the history of how these things started. Um, absolutely. Because lots of articles talk about how urban farming is only like 20 to 25 years old and i'm like okay cool the modern idea of it sure but no you're just wrong <laughs> so all the way back to persian towns they would find oases oasises oasis oasis they would find these oases oasis oasis is that okay i i, I yeah. okay so <laughs> Even like a long time ago in Persia's semi-desert towns, oases, right? Oases yeah, were fed through great. aqueducts carrying mountain water to support intensive food production in their city centers. And it was nurtured by waste from the community. So literally back in like ancient Persia, they had urban farming. In Machu wow. Picchu... Water was conserved and reused as part of the stepped architecture of the city, and vegetable beds were designed to gather sun in order to prolong the growing season. Cool. Also, city center urban farming. I know it's a little different than modern-day urban, but it was still their city centers. Um, and the idea of supplemental food production beyond rural farming is definitely not new. So, like, pretty much during any war and depression times... uh when there would be food shortages, there were allotment gardens that were kind of all over the world, really, but particularly in Germany in the early 19th century as a response to poverty and food insecurity. So they would make these, they would literally, the government would pay to build gardens so that people would have food to eat. How cool. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1893, the citizens of Detroit 
were asked to use vacant lots to grow vegetables. Hmm. And I think this one is kind of, I mean, it's not cute because they had to grow vegetables because they were starving and that was, that's really shitty. But yeah. they were nicknamed Pingree's Potato Patches, which I just think is a cute name. I'm sorry. Wait, say it again. Pingree's Potato Patches. What does that mean? I don't know. So I'm going to tell you. So oh, okay. <laughs> they were nicknamed that after the mayor, Hazen S. Pingree, who came up with the idea. And he intended for these gardens to produce income, food supply, and boost the independence of his citizens during times of hardship. And in a similar idea, Victory Gardens sprouted during World War I and World War II oh. and were fruit, vegetable, and herb gardens in the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. And this effort was undertaken by citizens to reduce pressure on food production and also to support the war effort. Interesting. I remember there was an episode of Anthony Bourdain's, I think it was No Reservations maybe parts mm -hmm. unknown it, it was parts unknown and he went to detroit and that was like when i really got into urban farming because i saw like he interviewed some people doing urban farming and it was just so cool it's such me. a cool thing <laughs> yeah um so again a similar practice came into use during the great depression also and it was to provide purpose a job and food to those who would otherwise be going without during the harsh times these efforts actually ended up helping raise spirits and boosted economic growth during the period. Um, so during the Depression alone, over $2.8 million worth of food was produced from these gardens. Wow. Yeah. That's so, incredible. Yeah, I think it's really cool. And then by World War II... The War Food Administration set up a National Victory Garden program that set out to systematically establish functioning agriculture within cities. At, at this point in time, as many as 5.5 million Americans took part in the Victory Garden movement, and over 9 million pounds of fruit and vegetables were grown a year, accounting for 44% of U.S. grown pr produce throughout that time. Wow. And I feel like that's so wild that I just didn't know that. Yeah, never heard either. of it. I'm over here. I've just never like, heard of Victory Gardens ever, and I feel like, how did yeah. I not? I've heard of Victory Gardens, but I didn't realize they were so prolific. That's yeah, amazing. Five point five million Americans produced over nine million pounds of fruit and vegetables, accounting for forty four percent. That's amazing. Those those numbers are wild. Wild. Um, we'll probably actually talk about Victory Gardens again when we start talking about lawns, too, because I remember reading about Victory Gardens in my lawn research. I just have to say, fuck a lawn. Yeah, fuck a front lawn. Okay, I preached grass? a little bit. I promised I wouldn't, we... and I did. Sorry. Okay, sidetracked, though. You all know grass is my favorite thing in the world. Like, oh, poesie. But, yeah, fuck a front lawn. It's not meant like, for your lawn. If you're going to cut no. that, grass is ugly when it's short. It's beautiful when it's seeded, and the end. <laughs> Ugh. All right. Realistically, though, I understand that urban farming isn't going to be everyone's cup of tea. I also understand that um, traditional farms are still very important. I don't want. I know that this kind of comes across like I'm. It almost sounds like I could be attacking traditional farming at certain points, which I'm definitely not trying no. to do. No, you um, just need creative solutions. Necessity right. breeds creativity. Yeah. So while it might not be everyone's cup of tea. For some, it's a perfect way to sustainably live their lives and 
for some people, even make a little money on the side and provide for themselves. So, fuck yeah, urban farming. (laughs) Right, fucking. Makes me so mad. Yeah. Yeah, that's I. That's I think what I. That's my bit for this week. Beautiful. Oh, I learned so much. That was incredible. It was fact. Fact filled. Fantastic! Oh my gosh! No, no. I hope I hope that you leave that in there just so you can, just so you can have to rehear that every time you listen to this episode. (laughs) Just because I had to hear it once, I think you should have to hear it a lot. Oh, I feel like sometimes I feel like I'm actually Miss Frizzle. Like (laughs) I'm just like, come on, everybody! Like let's go on an adventure. Fantastic! I don't know if Miss Frizzle is the right reference for that, but I feel like I'm like a middle school science teacher. (laughs) <laughs> I feel like I'm going to start saying factastic now because it's just so terrible that it's actually kind of great. Oh no, is this a thing now? I think this just became a thing. <laughs> um when well, you say something podcast, we're factastic. I, I'm going to I'm going to make it even worse cuz I have to now. Whenever you Uh-oh. say something right and I'm super into the fact that you said something right, I'm going to say that you just had a factasm. Oh no. <laughs> How terrible can we make this? I bet I can come up with more puns. Give me me a couple days. So we have a few Patreons to thank thank today. (laughs) Next order of business. What is that? (laughs) Um, We actually do have a bunch of Patreons. Patrons. We have some patrons to thank. They are incredible. We are so thankful for you. We We love our patrons. We love our patrons. And during our live chat that we had on the beach on Instagram, I think we decided we're going to call y'all our plant zaddies. We're not, you know, if you have any other ideas, please let us know. But we kind of love plant zaddies. We're open to hearing your opinions, but it has had best be damn good for me to give up plant zaddy because I think it's pretty (laughs) amazing. The bar is at plant zaddies. So please don't feel intimidated, but we would love to hear. Um, (laughs) We like that. <clears throat> it's inclusive uh and like also you're kind of funding this podcast all money from patron patreon goes back into the podcast it goes into hosting fees it goes into equipment all kinds of stuff podcasts are expensive and we really really appreciate every single person and more than even just the dollar value the idea that there are people out there that believe in this podcast as much as we do and want to be a part of it and support it just like I mean, I was tearing up earlier Mind today because I was really. writing letters, and like, it's just incredible. We're so thankful for you. Mind-boggling, truly. Mind-boggling. So, with that said, we have three people to thank. Okay, so first up on our new patron list is the incredible, the amazing Alex Panessa, who is my coworker and dear friend. Thank you so much for supporting us, Alex. Thank you so much. We love you. So, after that would be Kate G., yeah, KG. KG. That's an amazing You're thing. Amazing. Thank we you love you. So we'll much. love you for forever. Your profile picture is real cute, by the way. I haven't <laughs> looked at that yet, but now I have to because I feel like <laughs> now I just want to see. And then we have Michaela. I don't know how to say your last name. Okay. I know you as McBoots. You are a dear, amazing, incredible person. You have DM'd for me before. I was a trash goblin and it was incredible. <laughs> I played the piano. <laughs> I love that for you. That sounds just so right. I her name was Grumfrilly, and I really miss Grumfrilly. Anyways, Grumfrilly. thank you so much for supporting us, Michaela. You're incredible. Amazing. You're all amazing. so amazing. You're all 
so amazing. We're so thankful to have you here. And you will have some bonus content soon. Hopefully by the time this comes out, maybe, if not within the next week, I have it on my docket. Like I said, part-time, let's pump out some content. Um, all right, so let's end on a fun fact. And then oh, we'll talk right. about where to find us. I forgot. I think Daniel has a fun fact. I forgot, I forgot, <laughs> I forgot. Which one did we decide that we are going to do? Something about pencils. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, did you guys <laughs> know that an average-sized tree, which now I kind of don't like this fact, and I think I might change it. What the fuck right, does an average-sized tree mean? the fuck is that that's just like such a non like what is, i don't understand excuse me what is this metric average size tree i'm sorry i don't know why but when i read it that time i was just like i really don't or what, i didn't i don't like that theory? is it a pine is it coniferous is it deciduous i'm going to go incredibly out of character for me just because it okay. slightly relates back to what you were talking about earlier Mm -hmm. Cricket bats are made of a willow tree, <gasps> where baseball bats are made out of a hickory tree. And that Whoa. is your fun fact. And that is probably the first and last time you will ever hear Daniel on this podcast ever talk about sports in any way. <laughs> okay, it was pretty incredible, though. That was a good fun fact. <laughs> All right. So here is where you can find us online. Please follow us. Follow along for news updates, for cute photos, all kinds of stuff. So we are on Instagram at... Holy fuck. Sorry. I was not paying attention. No, go ahead. Did you know that the tallest tree ever was an Australian eucalyptus? And in 1872, it was measured at 435 fucking feet tall. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. You need to repeat that. So the tall Are you sure it's in feet? It's in feet. It says feet. The tallest tree ever was an Australian eucalyptus. In 1872, it was measured at 435 feet tall. <laughs> I can't even visualize that. That's no, that's, that's absurd. <gasps> that's wow. too many feet. That's amazing. All right. Anyways. Sorry, I was, I'm Let's being super ADD today, and that was what happened when I did that. <laughs> I love it. I, I love it because I'm the same way. So find us on Instagram at... Instagram would be at Propagated Podcast. <laughs> and Twitter is... Propagated Pod with an at in front. And then Gmail? Gmail would be propagatedpodcast at gmail.com. And then what's our website where everything is? Propagatedpodcast.com. Oh my gosh, so easy to remember. Go follow us there. Go find us there. All kinds of fun stuff for you there. We... Love you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Bye. Bye.